You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of John. Here's Nate. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, gives us such a wonderful opportunity to see what the Gospel can do to a human being's life. And uh, a wonderful passage of Scripture that we have in front of us today. Imagine, if you will, a butterfly and a caterpillar having a conversation. The butterfly trying to explain the glorious possibilities of the life to come. And the caterpillar, of course, stuck in his old mindset, limited by his experience. I think that probably captures in a strong way the conversation that is recorded for us between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Now, remember, of course, John's theme is found in John chapter 20, verse 31, when he says that these signs have been written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. And as he had already said in the prologue, in chapter 1, verse 4, he said, In Jesus, in him, was life, and the life was the light of men. And so John goes to great pains to tell us that Jesus is introducing a version and a brand of life that is altogether higher than we had known up to this point in redemptive history. And Nicodemus serves as a wonderful example of the ambiguous and uninformed state that mankind was in. Uh, Nicodemus, in many senses, was the most educated in his time. He was, it says in verse 1, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. And so if anyone should have known about that glorious potential and that glorious life, it would have been this man. But alas, he did not no. And so we praise the Lord that Jesus came to reveal himself and reveal the possibility of the new life and new birth unto us. Now I'm going to take you today through the first 15 verses of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. It says in verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, you might recall that at the end of chapter 2, John closed with a brief editorial note that many people began to follow Jesus because of the signs that he was doing, but that Jesus, verse 24 of chapter 2, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And so Jesus is distancing himself from people in one sense, in that he's not going to entrust himself to people because he knows the fickle nature of human beings at this moment in particular, willing to follow him for his external signs, but in need desperately of knowing the real truth. And so that said, we embark now into this section in the Gospel of John where Jesus is going to interact with people. It says here in verse 1 that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. 
In chapter 4, he's going to minister to a Samaritan woman and a Gentile official. In chapter 5, he's going to interact with a man at the pool of Bethesda, and there will be many more interactions with human beings throughout the rest of the Gospel of John. And so even though there's a distancing from Jesus, uh, between Jesus and man, there's also a willingness of Christ to interact with people and attempt to break through the fog and the blindness that has overcome mankind. Now this first man, we notice that his name is Nicodemus. And the story takes a very important tone when Nicodemus is described. He's a Pharisee. This is a member. Uh, he's a member of the strictest sect of Judaism. He's a ruler of the Jews, it says there in verse 1. More than likely, a member of the ruling council of the Sanhedrin. And, and Jesus has a special title for him in verse 10. When Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. So Nicodemus, quite a teacher, not even referred to by Christ as a teacher of Israel, but the teacher of Israel, probably in that position there on the Sanhedrin. And so this man is absolutely prominent and immediately adds interest to the story as this prominent figure. And it says in verse 2 that this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, before we look at what Nicodemus said, let's look at when he said it. He came to Jesus by night. Now, poor Nicodemus has been ridiculed time and time again for his absolute cowardice for coming to Jesus at night. But pause for a moment and think of the other reasons potentially that Nicodemus legitimately could have come to Jesus at night. First of all, there may have been a prudence in a move like this as a member of the Sanhedrin. Additionally, perhaps Nicodemus wanted to have a time with Jesus where there were no interruptions, a private moment with Jesus so that he could really get into things and discover Christ. Perhaps it was pure convenience. The Day was over, and in the calmness of the night, there was actually the possibility to speak and to talk. And of course, there is the possibility that as a coward, he came to Jesus in the night. But we do know that this man, Nicodemus, eventually, in chapter 7, will come to Jesus' defense before the Sanhedrin. And in chapter 19, we're going to see this same man assist Joseph of Arimathea in burying Jesus. So the text doesn't tell us that he came at night because he was a coward. It could mean that, but I think it could have meant a number of other things as well. If anything, in John's gospel, the night uh, indicates some kind of ominous mood and uh, session. And so perhaps that's what's happening here in the text. But notice what Nicodemus said. He said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So apparently Jesus had been producing more signs than simply the turning of the water to wine. But notice how Nicodemus says it. He says, listen, you know, 
we know that no one could do these signs unless God is with them. And so he says, Rabbi, you know, we, we know that you're a teacher come from God. He, he, he himself, without even really asking any question at all of Christ, is putting his stamp, his determination, his insight, his vision. What he's saying to Jesus is, now let me tell you what I'm seeing here. I'm watching you. I'm watching your works. I'm watching your miracles. And the conclusion I've come to is that you are rabbi, you are teacher, and somehow, some way, you must have come from God. <laughs> uh, this Pharisee is putting himself in a position uh, that is not his to take. He, in calling Jesus a rabbi and a teacher, is missing the mark. And in saying that he's from God, uh, and that, you know, God must certainly be with him. He's making a judgment that really isn't his to make. And it, throughout the rest of this conversation, Jesus will take that position back unto himself. Jesus is the one who should be giving the definition on what is of God, what is not of God, who is rabbi, and who is teacher. And so Jesus answered him in verse 3. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you. He will say that three times in this text, each time in response to a question from Nicodemus. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so Jesus subtly rebukes Nicodemus. It's as if Jesus is saying, listen, you really don't know the first thing about the kingdom. You, my friend, have not yet been born again. But someone who is born again will be able to see the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus says this, he's introducing the idea that the kingdom is not entirely future, but that it is also present now. Uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, they had believed that the kingdom of God was merely in the future tense. But Jesus says that although it is, there is a present day experience called the kingdom of God. Unless you're, and unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, of course, responds with this rhetorical question. I don't think he was a foolish man. I think he was just speaking to the impossibility of this and saying, I don't understand what you're saying. Can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? But really, when you think about this life that I told you that John is telling us that Jesus provides, that Jesus as he came, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and, and that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. Really, the first thing that we discover here in this text is that this life that Jesus is going to provide for us and describe to us, this life that John keeps advertising, it is a life that produces a second and higher birth from above. He said it this way in the prologue, in verse 12 of chapter 1, he said, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Plain and simple, Jesus is speaking of the glory of this new life 
in that what it does is it regenerates a human being. Now, this is obviously addressing a person. Jesus is addressing one man. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, in the new world, which some Bibles say in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me, will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There is a newness to come in the kingdom, to be sure. The regeneration to come in the world, to be sure. But Jesus introduces the concept that this regeneration is possible on the personal level. And this to me is just absolutely wonderful and glorious when it comes to the life that Jesus offers. He offers a life, number one, that is a second birth. A second birth. I mean, you think about it. I know that all of us deep down inside uh, desire a second chance. You know, perhaps it's just in a rather minor kind of sense. Have you ever had someone that you think is waving to you and you begin to wave back only to realize that they were actually waving to a person behind you or next to you? And then they look at you and give you that awkward look. It's an embarrassing moment, you know, and the feeling of, oh, I wish I could do that one over again. I wish I had an upper, another opportunity. Or, or which one of us have desired from time to time to just pick up our roots and to move to a new community, to, to start all over, to have a, a fresh chance, a fresh opportunity? Well, Jesus, through the new birth, gives a second chance and a new opportunity that goes so far beyond any opportunity like I just described. He takes man who had lost the opportunity at eating of the tree of life in Genesis and restores them through the blood of Jesus to a point where, in Revelation 22, we will be eating of the fruit of the tree of life. Its leaves will provide the healing of the nations. And so, we have been given, in this new life, a second birth. Then Jesus answered the question of Nicodemus and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, notice this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, once again, he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, this phrase from Jesus has been confusing for many for, for years. Because the question is, what, what does it mean that, that they are, are born of water and born of the Spirit in order to be able to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 3, he had said, they must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Here they must be born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And I think Jesus is using those terms in an interchangeable sense. So what does it mean to be born of water and to be born of the Spirit? Some would look at this and say, well, what this means is that born of water means born of the flesh as a human being. And born of the Spirit means the spiritual birth, to be born again. Nicodemus was talking about an original birth from his mother. And Jesus is referring to a spiritual birth. But in Scripture, it's very rare for water to be used to indicate physical birth. 
Others would point to it and say, well, water in Scripture is often used to describe the Word of God. And so you've got to receive the Word of God, the Gospel, and then receive the Spirit and be uh, regenerated. Others would look at this and point to some kind of baptismal regeneration. You've got to believe in the Lord and and be renewed and regenerated by His Spirit, but at the same time, you also have to be water baptized. And I don't think that Nicodemus would have even for a moment begun to think that that's what Jesus was talking about. Others would say that, well, what Jesus is doing is he's pointing out the baptism of repentance. That's the baptism he's referring to because John had been around preaching a baptism of repentance. And so that's the water you repent. And then the Spirit is, you place faith in Christ and He changes you and He transforms you. But it seems to me that there's only one birth that Jesus is talking about. To be born again, I think, in Jesus' mindset is the same and altogether synonymous with being born of the water and the Spirit. And the way that you interpret this or translate verse 5 could also just merely mean that there is just this one baptism That is the water-spirit baptism. Now Jesus, in verse 10, asked Nicodemus, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? In other words, I think whatever Jesus was saying could have been found by Nicodemus in the pages of the Old Testament. And there in the Old Testament, you see in Numbers chapter 19 that there would be times where people would come to be cleansed by water from their uncleanness and their impurity. Isaiah 44, verse 3 and 5, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I think that what Jesus is saying here simply is that, yes, this is a wonderful new birth. It is a second birth. But it, but in that new birth, there is this wonderful cleansing, like water, of the Holy Spirit upon a human life. And this is a wonderful thing about the new birth that we've been given. It's a second chance for one, but it is a clean and transformed heart that we receive, number two. Well, the psalmist said in Psalm 51, verse 9, he said, Hide your face from my sins, O God, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And of course, this is what John was seeing in the words of Christ and what Jesus was promising. A day that would come where the guilt of man and the shame of man And the pain in man's heart and the corruption that was there would be absolutely eradicated and removed. He says he must be born of water and the spirit. That, verse 6, which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit, Jesus says. So he goes on to tell Nicodemus, he says, listen, You know, the natural birth is one thing. The fleshy birth is one thing. But this birth is a spiritual birth. In other words, what he's saying is, there's a whole new nature that you receive in this new birth that I am offering 
unto you. It's like a doctor looking at a patient and saying, listen, unless there is an operation, there's nothing that I can do. We must operate in order to change your condition. There was a cancer in the heart of man and sin. And God, through the cross of Christ, through the gospel, through the new birth, has provided a way for that sin to be dealt with and to give us a new nature. Number three, a new nature. It's great to have a second chance. It's wonderful to be cleansed, but it's even more special to receive a new nature from the Lord. It says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 9, that a day is coming when God would make, and, and has now been fulfilled in this era, a covenant. And he said this, that it would be a covenant in which their hearts would actually receive the law of God written upon their hearts. Absolutely glorious to be changed from the inside out. And I think here Nicodemus would be absolutely shocked by the idea that motivation and internal drive could be changed through belief in the gospel. Verse 7, he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so Jesus uses this analogy that Nicodemus would have easily understood. He says, listen, you look at the wind. You can't see where the wind has come from. You don't know where it's going, especially in that era. But you do hear its sound. You might not be able to see it, but you recognize it. You can hear it. He says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, the person who is born of the Spirit can not be controlled, and cannot be understood by people without the new birth. However, they can be seen. They can be seen. And this speaks to us of the wonderful, powerful life of the Holy Spirit, awakened by the Spirit of God. This is what occurs in our lives when we receive the new birth from Jesus. We, we come to life. We come to life. God had said in Ezekiel 36, verse 25 through 27, he'd said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will, will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so Jesus promises this wonderful life of the Spirit. And then in the next, in the next chapter in Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel receives this vision of dry, dead bones in the valley. You remember this vision that he received? And, and the question that God asked is, can these bones live? And he said, God said to him, prophesy over the bones. And Say, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And they hear the word of the Lord, and the breath of God enters into them. And they receive sinews and flesh and covers on their skin. And the breath of God is put within them, and they begin to live. And the bones shake and rattle and come to life. And this is what occurs in a man's life. When he gives himself to Jesus, he becomes alive by the Spirit of God. Nicodemus, verse 9, said to him, 
How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? In other words, Jesus was telling Nicodemus, he says, Listen, this kind of life was hinted at and promised in the Old Testament era. I mean, you read Jeremiah uh, chapter 33, you read Ezekiel 36 and 37, and it seems that there is the possibility, the promise of new life. And Jesus says, how do you not understand these things? Aren't you the teacher of Israel? Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 11, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. Now, earlier, Nicodemus had said to Jesus, we know that you're a teacher come from God. And so here, Jesus, I think, is just using the same kind of language or talk to say, hey, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We actually know the deal. And we've actually seen what we bear witness of. But you're not receiving our testimony. He says, verse 12, if I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And so Jesus basically tells Nicodemus, listen, I came from there. You're telling me what is of God and what isn't of God. And I'm here to tell you that I know exactly what is from and of God. And so I will declare it to you. Verse 14, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. This was a story that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. The people of God groaned against God and against Moses. And serpents were released into the camp that were poisonous. They were biting the people. People were dying left and right. They cried out to Moses to save them, to deliver them. And Moses went to God and God said, Make a bronze servant, serpent, put it on a pole, and whoever comes out of his tent and looks upon it will be healed. So Jesus said, So must the Son of Man be lifted up. This speaks of the cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It was as easy for them as coming out of the tent to look at that bronze serpent. And it is, it is as easy as believing, looking at Jesus on that cross and believing in him for a person to receive this brand of eternal life. To have a second chance, to be totally cleansed, to receive a new nature, and to be a brand new spirit-filled person. It takes simple belief and faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. And so here you have Jesus attempting to explain to Nicodemus the glory of the new life that could be his. I pray that you enjoy your new life in Christ. I pray that you would run in the new life that is found in Christ. And if you do not have this life yet, know that it comes from simply believing that he died on the cross for your sin, living a perfect life that you could not have lived, and that he rose from the grave three days later. Place your faith and trust in him, and he will wash you, regenerate you, change you, and fill you with his 
Holy Spirit. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.